Dagon's Illusion, Episode 28, General Robert Dagon and the Hanging. As Robert Dagon climbed the stairs of the mansion, never had he felt such weakness. He leaned against the banister. What kind of hellish poison had been injected into him? It was more than a powerful hallucinogen. He was no stranger to those. When he was young, he had experimented with a wide range of brain-frying substances, and this was like nothing in his memory. For flashing moments, he felt intensely multi-located, as though he were drifting simultaneously through many worlds, with flotsam from other existences flickering in the corners of his eyes. In the peripheral vision of his right eye flashed a series of disconnected objects, the headlights of an old car, a mummy's head in a museum, a window looking out over a dark chasm filled with fire, but when he turned toward them, they vanished. Dagon gritted his teeth. If he lived through this storm, he would dedicate himself to finding the bastard who had done this to him. No matter what dimension he crawled in, he would go there and destroy the man. If it was a man. He had read the history of the mansion. He knew the legends about Corneal Moon, a necromancer, a devil worshipper, and very likely a brutal murderer who had killed himself. But was that really the one who had poisoned and degraded him, or was some other power using his name and image? If so, why and where had it come from? What was that famous saying of Jesus Christ? Within the house of reality there were many dwelling places? Something like that? What he had failed to mention was that most of them were evil and chaotic. That was true even if they were beautiful. In Dagon's experience, the beautiful ones were the most dangerous of all. That fact he had learned the hard way. He had stumbled upon the dimension of Melissa Marin by a roll of the cosmic dice. It had happened while he was in his cell in the penitentiary at Marion, Illinois. In that awful, solitary place, he had honed his skill in astral travel. With nothing to do but read books or stare at a wall, he had taken to daily excursions out of his body. So while his flesh had been incarcerated, his spirit had wandered to the ends of the universe. It was on one of those jaunts that he had dropped into Melissa Marin's dimension, and the drop had been jarring. Unlike all his other experiences, he had found himself in an actual human body, and that body was seated on a horse surrounded by an army on the move. Quickly it had become apparent that he was their general. During the first moments in that world he had felt great pain in his chest, but slowly it had dissipated. Later he had decided that the original owner of the body must have died of a heart attack, and for some unknown reason he had landed in his flesh at the exact moment when the original spirit had departed. Why the heart had started beating again, he didn't know. The whole situation was so curious that he had remained to see what would happen. There had been a few weeks of adjustment as he labored under a sense of extreme dislocation. All of the general's memories resided in the physical brain, so Dagon had access to them, but his own memories crowded in there too. Strangest of all, he discovered that he and the general shared the same face and name. So in this other world, he both was and wasn't himself. Dagon's adjustment had been made more difficult because for weeks he had thought that he was a time traveler and kept trying to recall Civil War history. But this wasn't time travel. He had blundered into a parallelism. 
Melissa Marin's dark dimension was like a separate train running on a track next to the one in which he had been born. But that wasn't a good analogy either, because the tracks weren't always individuated. At certain points they joined, crossing and recrossing for unknown lengths of time, perhaps a few moments or a few years. So the Melissa Marin, whom he had met in that other world, both was and wasn't the woman who had lived so long ago in the mansion. During those splinters of existence, when the tracks joined, they were the same person. But then they would diverge. It was Dagon's suspicion that the greatest occult adepts could force the tracks together for short periods in the localities of their choosing in order to accomplish their schemes. And Melissa Marin was an adept. Bringing the tracks together at a point of her choosing, she could cause the Melissa Marin who had lived so long in his world to leave a gift for him that would remain hidden for 150 years. But then again, maybe the two women were just pieces of a single broken mirror that had crashed long ago with the shards falling into different places on the great floor of reality. While the dimensional tracks ran parallel, that didn't mean they shared the same aspect of time. Each existed independently of the other. He had discovered that in Melissa Marin's world, it was possible to live for many years while no time at all passed in his home dimension. He tested this several times by flash-leaping back to his cell, then returning to the body of the general. Slowly the realization had come to him that this new life offered unlimited possibilities. The thought whispered in his brain that it was the chance to do whatever he wanted without any negative consequences. Moral constraints be damned. Since he could always escape to his primary existence, why not let the general enjoy some unchained debauchery? His decision was made easier because soon he discovered that in Melissa Marin's world, everything ran opposite. The sun rose on the west. Most people were left-handed. Clocks ran counterclockwise. His heart beat on the right side of his chest instead of the left. And the south was winning the war between the states. It was easy to imagine that morality was opposite there, too. At first, this new life had been a bloody, wonderful game. General Dagon took great joy in wreaking havoc on those who opposed him in battle. He had plunged into combat without fear of death, executing bold strategies, exploiting the enemy's weakness, presiding over the murderous slaughter of untold thousands. In a few months, he became a national hero. His men loved him, and women loved him, too. When he wasn't on the battlefield, he conquered from bed to bed, feasting on an endless banquet of exquisitely beautiful females, and for a time, the most lovely and sensuous of them all had been Melissa Marin. Too late he had learned that all worlds are inextricably linked, and a human soul is the white-hot point of connection. In the middle of his debauchery, Melissa Marin had introduced him to the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. Anna Constance Devereux was the daughter of a wealthy plantation owner. They had fallen in love at first sight. Within months, they were married. For a time, Dagon had tried to be faithful. As the years passed, it was Anna's presence that kept him in that world. War grew tiresome, and this war between the states lasted for decades, but old habits are hard to break. Love for Anna didn't stop his lust for exotic flesh. 
Melissa Marin knew this and waged a war of her own against him, playing on his every weakness, dangling temptation in a hundred forms. It was as though she had given Anna to him so his life could be made miserable with guilt. Over and over he fell, and the more he fell, the more he loathed Melissa Marin. Worst of all, Anna, who appeared to be such a strong woman, was Melissa's slave. Whatever he did that should have hurt and infuriated her, one visit with Melissa made it right again. Anything and everything was always forgiven. Dagon had come to believe that he and his wife were insects caught in a web. Like a spider, Melissa took endless joy in sucking their souls, thirsting for every drop of hurt and jealousy, lust and rage. For almost ten years, Dagon had lived under the curse of her with his spirit growing ever weaker. There had come a point where he had no strength to jump out of the general's body back to his own. Many times he had thought of killing the general's body, but he couldn't leave Anna. He had become so desperate that he even prayed, though he didn't know to whom. Then finally the opportunity had arrived. He could see her coming ever closer in his mind. In this dimension, the gift of supernatural vision appeared sporadically, but only at times of great stress. And what greater stress could there be than knowing you would die in an hour? Yes, he could see her, and he was glad she was coming. His wife, Anna Constance Dagon, was walking with an escort of soldiers trying desperately to keep the ruffle of her dress from touching the floor. Her shoes were covered with filth. The narrow corridor reeked of excrement mingled with the acrid smoke of burning torches. As awful as it was, she was not showing the slightest weakness. He was proud of her. Two soldiers in front and two following. Sweat dripped from their greasy hair. Their uniforms strained against the bloat of their bellies. She would hate such sloppiness. No wonder their armies were losing. Closer and closer they came. Down one loathsome corridor after another. Down iron staircases slippery with gore. In spite of her efforts, the ruffle became fouled. Though her look didn't change, Dagon knew that she was angry about this small insult. But it was nothing compared to her rage at the great insult that had brought them both here. She was using that rage to stifle all other emotions, but it was hard to keep her mind focused when all around her were terrifying shrieks and groans that echoed in the darkness of the prison. He knew her so well. Her mind would be screaming, how could they treat prisoners of war this way? It was dishonor worthy of death. They were vicious brutes, all of them. Every man, woman, and child above the Mason-Dixon line belonged in hell. And what hypocrites they were with their talk of liberating slaves. They despised Africans more than any Southerner that she had ever known. The liberation of slaves was an excuse to rape and pillage. If only she had been born a man, she would fight and die to kill every last one of them. Thank God the Confederacy was finally winning. The enemy capital was surrounded by the Army of Northern Virginia. It was only a matter of weeks before the whole rancid edifice would come crashing down. And then the South would take its vengeance. These beasts would be crushed. This was what she would be thinking as she traversed the corridors. Yet none of it appeared on her face. On her face was nothing but frigid disdain. She was the wife of a Southern general. 
but beneath that mask she was raging about the great insult, the manner in which he had been captured. There had been a 24-hour ceasefire to remove the thousands of dead and wounded from the battlefield. It was during this period that the cowardly act had been committed. 200 of the enemy had donned the clothing of dead Confederate soldiers. As darkness fell, they had straggled back to camp among the real wounded. Slowly they had gathered around Dagon's headquarters. Filled with compassion for his fallen men, it was the general's habit to come out late at night to comfort their suffering. When he was deep among the wounded, the signal had been given and the cowards had attacked. Their plan was flawless. In the confusion, he was captured and spirited away behind enemy lines. Most of the Yankee curs who had perpetrated the deed had been shot before they could escape, but they had accomplished their goal. Their most despised enemy was in their power. Then had come months of torture and interrogation. They had gotten nothing from him. After a sham trial smeared across every Yankee newspaper, he had been condemned to die like a common criminal. As his execution drew near, Dagan had requested that his wife be allowed to visit. His request had been granted. So with only the companionship of a female servant, Anna had traveled bravely in her carriage the hundreds of miles from her home, and she was almost here. Finally, she reached the lowest level of the dungeon. The heavy boots of her escort sloshed through rivulets of filth. A single sputtering torch made the shadows dance in this anteroom of hell. On the deepest level of the prison, he was the only guest. With a silent groan, Dagon struggled to his feet and moved to the bars. Then she appeared. How beautiful she was with tears running down her cheeks. Though he had no mirror, he knew what he looked like. He was covered with grime and had been endlessly beaten. There were deep cuts on his face and one eye had been gouged out. For her sake, he had tried to cover it with a twisted rag. Silently, she came to him, lifted her hands and traced his wounds. The fat sergeant leading the escort mumbled, Madam, I have been instructed to remind you that only 15 minutes have been allotted for your visit. She nodded, and then they came together. Reaching through the bars, she put her arms around his neck and pulled him as close as possible. My love, my love. Dagon looked at the sergeant. Could we have a few minutes of privacy? General, I have been instructed to step back ten feet and no farther. The soldiers moved to their new position. Clinging to each other, Dagon whispered, Sweet Anna, thank you for coming. I am sorry that you must see me this way, but I couldn't die without... She put her fingers to his lips. Robert, I love you. But she couldn't go on for crying. Darling wife, I have many things to say, and there is little time. Be patient with me. Condemned to spend my last days in this cell, so much has become clear. Why you have loved me, I will never understand. I have done terrible things to you. Don't speak this way. All is forgiven, Robert. You know that. Yes, I know that. But I must speak this way. No matter what I have done, what despicable act I have perpetrated, you have always forgiven me. Why, Anna? That's the question that haunts me. You should have cast me out long ago as the dog that I am. Oh, Robert, stop speaking that way. It breaks my heart. You are not a dog, and I could never cast you out. But you should have. I used your forgiveness. Knowing it was always there, I took it for granted. You forgave me even when I didn't ask for it. So I never asked. 
My time in this world is almost over, and I am stalked by a thousand wretched memories. I have done much evil. For so long I blamed everything on Melissa Marin, that vile witch. My love, be kind. She is a poor woman who carries many sorrows. She is a monster who uses your kindness and pity like I have used your forgiveness. But I can't blame the terrible things that I have done on her. My choices were my own. I only wish that I could live this life over again. I would treat you with the love and respect that you deserve. Anna, I want your true forgiveness. You have it. Somehow I can't believe that. Why not? As I have waited for death, a cold reality has come to me. True forgiveness is a rare and costly gift. And the greater the sin, the greater the price that must be paid by the one who chooses to give it. I don't believe in sin, Robert. I know, and neither do I. But there is something rotting in my bones, and I don't know what else to call it. I have sinned egregiously against you, Anna, and you have simply overlooked every heinous deed. When you should have screamed and raged in horror, you stroked my face and smiled as though I had done no wrong. My precious husband... Whatever it is you want, I will give it. Darling, how can I say this to you? It is only my impending doom that spurs me on. I want your revulsion. I want your hatred. I need it. I need for you to see me for who I really am. A murderer, an adulterer, a monster who deserves to die. And then, if you choose to forgive, it will mean the world. But that isn't who you are. You're a good and decent man. No, Anna, I am not. That is a false dream. As long as you believe it, you love an illusion. I see who I am, and I hate what I see. I have tried, but I can't forgive myself. My soul is too thick with evil. That's why I need someone I have deeply wronged to see my vileness, to hate what I have become, yet to carry that pain and still love and forgive me. And there is no one in this world that I have wronged more than you. Robert, I'll do anything. But I'll never believe that you are an evil man. You are a good man who has made a few mistakes. They weren't mistakes. They were conscious choices to do the worst that I knew. I won't ever believe that. That's not who you are. She could hardly speak for sobbing. Leaning his head against the bars, he closed his eyes. Oh, God, look what I'm doing right now. More evil. With death moments away, I am blaming you because I can't find forgiveness. How utterly despicable I am. This is not the way I want you to remember me, Anna. For a moment he was silent. Then he whispered, Sweetheart, forgive me for bringing you pain. I do forgive you. My darling, this thing that we call life is far stranger than you know. Because we die in one world, it doesn't mean that our lives come to an end. Yes, I believe in heaven. I'm not talking about heaven. She looked up at him. Then I don't understand. Whatever happens in the next hour, don't be afraid. They think they're going to hang me, but they won't get that satisfaction. She choked a sob. Are you you're going to kill yourself? No, I'm going to escape. Her eyes grew wide, but not in the way you are thinking. What then? I will escape this world and enter another. My sweet Anna, the universe sings, but it's in a voice that most people cannot hear. If you learn to sing with it, there is great power. There are moments when melodies converge. In those moments, doors open. 
I don't know what you mean. And there is no time to explain. When I am gone, promise me that you will escape from that witch. Move out of her house. Go back to your family. Will you do that? I'll, I'll try. My love, I don't believe that I will ever see you again. But always remember that wherever I am, my passion to hold you in my arms goes on forever. Oh, Robert, how can I live without you? One last time they kissed. Now go quickly up into the courtyard and stand and wait. In a few minutes, there will be a great commotion. There is nothing to fear. Once more, he held her close. Goodbye, sweet Anna. Be strong. You are a daughter of the South and the wife of a general. Then he kissed her hair and gently pushed her away. Sergeant, she's ready to go. Once more, Dagon watched with his mind as Anna walked between the guards up the stairs and through the corridors until they were in the courtyard where the hanging was to take place. The gallows were ready. Soldiers were straggling out from the prison buildings to witness the execution. A group of civilians appeared, probably reporters. Then the vision changed. No longer was he seeing with the mind of the general. His spirit left the body of General Robert Dagan and hovered above the courtyard. Minutes later, alarm bells clanged. Soldiers began rushing everywhere. Out of breath, a young lieutenant ran up to Anna. Madam, you must come with me immediately. What's wrong? The colonel wants to see you. Why? Just come, please. Inside the administration building, all was chaos. The officer in charge, a grizzled old man with ham-chopped whiskers, was livid. Madam, what have you done to him? Speak or I will clap you in irons. What are you talking about? Don't pretend innocence. You were with him moments ago. Colonel, you make no sense. My husband is your prisoner. If something has happened to him, I demand to know what you have done. What I have done? Come outside. The colonel led her back into the courtyard. From another door, soldiers emerged carrying a stretcher. Anna rushed over to look at it. On it lay a body that bore a vague resemblance to her husband, but it was rotted as though it had been dead and buried for ten years. Above the courtyard, the spirit of Robert Dagan took one last look at his wife and faded away. <laughs>